Congratulations. We made it to the very end of the semester. Well, GCF, large group did. So congratulations. Um, we have been through, if you're, if you're here for the first time or um, if you've been relatively new with us, we've been going through the series um, during this time where we talk about God's word, where we engage with God's word and explore it. We've been going through the series uh, kind of asking this question over and over again, is Jesus worth it? And we've been asking that question to various spheres of our life, um, like time and money and uh, education and our relationships. And tonight we're going to do something uh, a little different, actually. Uh, it's something very, very specific, where most of our other categories have been really broad and these, these big, huge, like, swathed categories. Um, we're talking tonight about reputation and approval. And it's something very specific. And so that's a little different than what we've been doing. Um, and so tonight, if you got your Bibles um, open to the, the spot Grant did, uh, Luke 19, uh, we're going to be in verses one through 10. Um, but I kind of want to like help us get an idea of what we're talking about with just reputation, just so we're on the same page. Um, reputation, like what people think of you, okay? Um, or what, what you want people to think of you. And that's what we're going to kind of be getting into today, like what do people think of you and what do you want people to think of you? And really one of the topics we did was identity and reputation and identity are two things that we can't really separate from each other, right? Like there's this really intimate connection between who we are and who we want people to see us as. And so really that happens in kind of two ways. One, we have this identity, right? We have this like self-definition, this thing we want to be or this thing we define ourselves as. And then we need people to see us as that in order to like validate our identity. You know what I mean? Um, or the inverse of that is like, kind of like what, what I was growing up, I didn't really have like this thing I wanted to be or, um, my own kind of built identity. I was just like, whatever, like people, I wanted people to see me in a certain way. And so then I'd build my identity around how I wanted people to see me, if that makes sense. Um, and so with those two kind of ideas around identity and, and reputation, you'd be like, well, what about the third one where I just, I'm one of those people that. You know, I really, I really don't care what people think of me. Um, that's BS. I don't think that actually exists. I think there's like a very, very, very small percentage of people that actually believe that. If you're one of those people that says you believe that, I think you just want people to see you as someone who doesn't care what people think. You know what I mean? Right? Are we, are, we, are we on the same page there? I really don't think that that actually exists. And so tonight as we talk about this idea of reputation and how people see us, um, and we consider ourselves in that and our identity, we, we, we need to kind of use what we talked about with our identity as kind of a backdrop for, for that. Meaning like um, who you are and how people see you, they're, they're, they're intimately connected. And so um, tonight, um, with that idea, with reputation and approval and how people see us, we have a big problem. And everyone has this problem, Okay. We have, we have the, this problem of this need to be known, okay? This need for people to see us in a certain way um, or this longing for people to see us in a certain way. And, and that's, that, there's two reasons that's a problem. One, it's all about me, right? That, that whole idea is built around me. And as Christians, we've been trying to move away from that idea of me and we've been trying to even move away from the idea of defining ourselves by others and we've been wanting God to define who we are. And so... The first problem with that, the idea of defining ourselves by what people think is, um, is, is the fact that it's so self-centered. It's so self-ism. Um, and the second problem is we live in a jacked up world with jacked up people, right? And so if we're trying to solve our problems in this jacked up world with messed up people, then any solutions to those problems that come from a messed up world or messed up people are going to be messed up answers, right? 
Like inevitably, if, you, if you're in a broken world with broken people, you're gonna get broken answers to your problems. And so we have to look somewhere else. We can't look to ourselves and we can't look to other people to define it for us. We need to look to God and we need to look to God's word. And so the problem we have tonight, our first point, what we're gonna be looking at in our text is this. Each of us has a longing to be known. And this is a problem for all of us. This is a reality for all of us. Um, and so whether it's friends, family, roommates, our professors, whatever it is, we want specific people to know us and we want specific people to think specific things about us. Is that fair? We work from there? Sweet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray really quick and uh, we're going to dive into God's word. Uh, Lord Father, thank you once again for... Um, this time, just the opportunity to open a Bible on a campus and talk about Jesus. Uh, Lord, it's a privilege, it's a blessing, and it's, um, it's a unique thing we get to do in, in the West. And so, Lord, we're just, man, we are grateful for that. Lord, I pray that as we, as we try and explore truth and understand uh, what you've revealed to us, Lord, I pray that as we consider ourselves and we consider others around us, um, Lord, that what is approving of us, Lord, would not be with others around us, but Lord, that we would rely on what you've said about us and what you think about us. So Lord, we ask that um, just be here, uh, help us as we understand your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So like I said, open your Bibles, Luke 19, verses one through 10, and we're going to start um, in verses one through four, and we're going to kind of explore this idea and see if, see if this, this text has any answers for us at all with that problem of needing to be known. So, um, Luke 19, starting in verse one, he entered Jericho, that's Jesus, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see uh, who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was so small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And so we have this picture in our text, this is a narrative, right? This is a story. This is uh, Luke telling the story of Jesus. And this little part we have here is a story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on his way to the, like, the triumphal entry. And we get this little picture of this tax collecting dude, Zacchaeus. Um, and so the details in this story are really important for us, okay? The details specifically that this was a tax collector and that he was rich. So like Jerusalem, that's where they are, right? Jerusalem is in Israel and Jerusalem is where, where the Israelites live, the Jewish people. And uh, the, the Israel and the Jewish people were subjects of the Roman Empire, right? They were, they were part of this massive, massive empire that governed them, that controlled them, that dictated what they did, and they paid taxes to that government, right? And that's not anything abnormal, right? Like we pay taxes. Most everyone throughout history has paid some kind of tax. Um, and so it's not abnormal. Um, but what's happening here, two things that make this really unique for Zacchaeus is... Um, uh, first, tax collectors were the enemies of the Jews. And the reason for that is there was like this, this, this rebellion, this little kind of uprising or this, this desire for the Jewish people to be freed and liberated from the Roman Empire, which is why they, they really cared about Jesus because they thought he was ushering in this huge new kingdom, this kingdom to like take out Roman, the Romans and like usher them into this like new era of, of dominance. And so they didn't like the Romans and they didn't like their tax collectors. But what they liked less than Roman tax collectors was Jewish tax collectors, right? So Zacchaeus was a Jew, and he was working for the Roman government, the Roman oppressive controlling government. And so not only is he in the occupation working for 
the Rome's interest rather than the Jewish interest. He's a betrayal to the Jewish people. He's a betrayal because he's one of them working for the Romans. And so they see him as, um, as, as, as a betrayer, as a traitor. And so the second reason is that tax collectors were shady dudes. Okay? So like the way it worked was like the Roman government put in charge of these provinces, like specific individuals, and those individuals were in charge of like collecting all the taxes for like a specific area. So like we, we would have like a, like a uh, official in charge of Missoula that was like in charge of getting taxes from everybody. But what would happen is they'd outsource that, okay? So like the, the, the official would outsource that to someone else, and the way they outsourced it was they like had an auction, meaning they like they had individuals in the community or even outside the community like bid on who was going to pay that official the most money for that job. Does that make sense? On the same page? So he, the, the, the individuals would bid to get this job. They'd pay to have this job. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Don't you get paid to do work? You don't pay to do work, right? Well, how tax collecting, work, how tax collecting worked back then is it was really corrupt. And so uh, these tax collectors, these individuals that would go around door-to-door -door collecting taxes would extort more money from the citizens and the people in the communities than was necessary. One, to line their own pockets, and two, to line the pockets of the person that they just bid for this job for. And so not only was this a betrayer of the Israelites, this, this Jew was betraying his own people, but he's a shady, corrupt dude. And so that's really important as we get into this because um, uh, he, th that's gonna kind of shape how we understand Zacchaeus in this story. And as we get into this idea of reputation for us, we can only really speculate at why Zacchaeus would do this, at why Zacchaeus would betray his own people and, 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 and live and act and do a job in such a corrupt way. Um, and I think like the two very real possibilities, one, he wanted to be a part of the Romans more than he wanted to be part of the Jews. And so he saw like the power and the influence and the wealth that the Romans had and all the prestige that the Romans had. And he wanted that. He wanted to be a Roman. I mean, the other one is he just wanted to be a rich dude. <laughs> he just wanted money. And so he was willing to sacrifice all of his personal capital to be this rich, wealthy, influential, powerful guy. And so either way, whatever the reasons were, it drove him to this dishonesty to this greed, to this corruption, to this theft, to this betrayal of his own people. And so as we dive into the idea of reputation and your reputation and my reputation, I just want to ask you this at the outset. Have you compromised your own values to fit in? Have you compromised your own values to do something that you probably shouldn't? So you're not the only awkward one in the group, not with a beer in his hand. Have you ever, a better question, have you ever compromised God's values to fit in or to look a certain way or to be a certain kind of person? Reality is, I think we've all done it to one degree or another. We've all done it and we've, excuse me, we've all done it and we are all not victims, we are all a, a perpetrators of that kind of betrayal of God's values. Because the rea like, like we said at the outset, at the very beginning, we all have this longing to be known. So how many of you have seen The Office, like regularly? Oh, cool, sweet. So uh, 
it's one of the, like the act one of the many many things that we've taken from like the British and made a whole lot better. Um, and like America. America. Um, what, what made The Office, I think, personally, so special is its characters. Like, there, is, there are few shows with as dynamic and built-out characters as The Office is. And um, one of, if not the, most important character in the entire series is the boss of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, regional manager Michael Scott, right? He is the central to what the series is. And once he left the show, it wasn't the same, right? And so what's central to this this, this beautiful show is Michael Scott, this man, this boss, ostensibly who should be caring about like bottom lines and the, the, the success of the company, sales and HR and who's doing well, like a boss, someone that should be a boss. All he cares about is that his employees like him and that they think he's funny, right? All he cares about is the approval and the acceptance and the admiration of the people he's supposed to be leading. And I bring that up, I bring up that silly example because I don't think there's perhaps another character in TV or literature or anywhere that more beautifully exemplifies the need to be known like Michael Scott does. And the reason I bring that up is because I think we all have a little bit of Michael Scott in us. We all have that need to be known. We all have that need to be approved and appreciated. And so I'll ask again, as I did, where is it you're searching for approval? What is it that, you're, that you need people to see you as? Because whatever it was Zacchaeus was looking for, he was willing to betray his own people for it. He was willing to sacrifice perhaps his family, perhaps his friends for it. And so looking for answers in our story, the last part of our text was what? Jesus coming into Jerusalem, right? Here's this, this dude, Zacchaeus. Jesus is coming in. Zacchaeus wants to see this dude, right? Jesus wants to, or Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, this guy that everyone's been talking about as like this prophet, maybe a Messiah, this guy healing dudes, like blind people see when he touches them, lame people walk when he lifts them up. He wants to see this guy. Maybe this is something that could satisfy something that hasn't been satisfied for him yet. And so when he, gets, when he gets into the crowds, obviously no one's going to let the betraying, crooked tax collector get through, especially a wee little man like Zacchaeus, right? So he climbs a tree. So he, he climbs a tree because Jesus is passing through. And let's pick up our, our story in verse 4 again. Chapter 19, verse 4. So he went on ahead, and that's Zacchaeus. He went on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. That's like the crowd. The crowd grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I should restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus rolls into town. People are gathered. No one's letting Zacchaeus through. And Jesus walks by the tree, looks up, says, hey, get, get over here. Let's, let's go hang out. Let's go break bread. Let's go eat dinner. So here's this evil, according to everyone around him, this, this 
betraying, crooked tax collector, and Jesus the Messiah wants to hang out with him, wants to eat dinner with him at his house. Imagine what that meant to that dude. Rejected by your own people, presumably for a long time, because like, if you're that short, like if you're, because it's short, right? If you're that short, you're gonna get made fun of in grade school, right? You're gonna get made fun of up through junior high. And so as you get into adulthood and betrays all these people, this guy's been rejected his whole life, marginalized his whole life, made fun of his whole life, pushed away from society, from his own people his whole life. Imagine what the Messiah of that very people coming to you and saying, let's go eat dinner at your house. What a moment. See, Zacchaeus spent his whole life looking for something. Spent his whole life chasing meaning and some kind of approval and recognition, whatever it was he was after. He spent his whole life chasing meaning and it was Jesus. It was meaning that found him. It was Jesus that spoke to him. It was Jesus that told him to get out of the tree. It was Jesus that said, hey, I'm coming over to your house. It was Jesus that said, hey, we're gonna eat a meal together. It was Jesus giving him the unsolicited acceptance that he'd been longing for his whole life. The solution to our problem, the need to be known, it's the approval of Jesus. For many of us, this, that idea, um, that kind of story of Zacchaeus, that's like, that's our story, right? Like we spend so much personal capital, especially like once we hit junior high, there's like this moment where like nothing else matters but what other people think, right? And that just kind of bleeds into adulthood. And I can even say as a 28-year-old dude that that still exists for me, right? So like we've spent our whole lives investing in what people think about us, trying to build an identity around what people think about us, trying to make people think specific things about us because we need our identity to be validated. And then yet we find at every turn, there's something else assaulting our reputation and our identity. There's another problem around the corner. There's someone else with, um, with uh, the reputation that we want. And so we gotta just keep working harder. At some point, that reputation that we carve out for ourselves becomes inadequate and it just isn't satisfying. And the reason for that is because the only thing that can satisfy the Michael Scott in each of us is Jesus and the approval of Jesus. And there's a certain irony to this, right? It's like you want approval, you want acceptance, you want to be known, and yet the only way to achieve that through Jesus is to stop striving for it in life, right? It's like to say, I'm hungry, but I can't eat to get satisfied. I, I need something. It's, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. The reality is once we stop trying to craft our own narrative and give our reputation and our approval and our identity over to God, that's when Jesus can make way for something much more glorious and much more beautiful. John 5:44 says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Romans 8:31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Galatians 1.10 says, for, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, once Jesus got a, an approval that mattered, an approval that would last, the murmuring of the crowd didn't matter to him anymore. 
once Jesus gave him that approval, his wealth didn't matter anymore. He gave it away. He, he made recompense for all the ways he defrauded people. Once he got the approval of Jesus, no one else's approvals met, mattered anymore. And so let me ask you this. What would change in your life if what mattered to you is the approval of Jesus and not of those around you? What would change in your life if you were seeking glory from God and not glory from man? There is a, a freedom in letting go. There is a freedom and a liberation when you let go of the need to be approved. And that happens in like two spheres, right? Like that happens in the Christian context and that happens in like everywhere else. So like in the Christian context, we have this like, this need, this desire to like preserve this picture of like piety and holy, holiness. And so we like put on the mask of like, I'm, I'm, I'm a good dude. I read my Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm not sinning too bad. And so we have this like, we, we live in this, this, this charade of piety only to have sin burrowing its way deeper into our souls every day. And in the rest of culture, like that makes us a legalist. And in the rest of culture, we like, we, there's this like shame sometimes associated with being a Christian. And so to preserve our reputation as a scientist or to preserve our reputation as whatever, we kind of minimize the role that, that, that our faith plays in our lives. See, once you let go of that need, it frees you. It means you don't have to hide your secret sin from your D group anymore. You don't have to hide what's, what you've been wrestling with for, for years from your D group anymore. You're free to tackle it. You're free to give it over to God. You're free to find a way to glorify God with that, that horrible thing that you've been wrestling with. And you give your peers the opportunity to help you with that. What a, what a bond and relationship that can build. Is that hard? Of course, that's freaking hard. Of course, it's hard giving over who you are your identity, and your reputation. But perhaps what's even harder, if that's hard, then the next part of our text is going to be agonizing. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, chapter, eight, or chapter, chapter 1, verses 18. This is where we get at the cost of knowing Jesus, or the cost of being known by Jesus, rather. There is a cost to being known by Jesus. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God for it is written. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
there is a cost to being known by Jesus. And that is why we ask the question, is Jesus worth your reputation? Because you have to sacrifice it. Because concerning ourselves with God's glory, rather than our own or what we get from other people, it can sometimes mean, it can often mean that we have to lay down our reputation with everyone else. Because there's inevitably going to be conflict and we don't want to hide from that reality, right? Like we don't, we're not sitting here saying as Christians, like everything's great and fine. You become a Christian and all your life's problems get fixed. And we don't want to hide from the reality that being a Christian is tough. And I empathize with you guys because I don't think there's a tougher place to believe in Jesus and to be a Christian than in the West than on a college campus. To actually live out your faith, to actually care about your faith is really, really hard on a college campus. For example, like trying to be obedient to God. If you really take, like, if you take this book seriously and like you, you want to follow the commands of God, it's going to be brutal living on a college campus. Take relationships, for example, like dating and sex. Like if you're going to live out a holy, obedient, pure like obedient to God's word, it's going to be so much different than everyone else on campus. And it, like, it's going to be called foolish, inevitably. I mean, I experienced that when Jesslyn and I were dating in college and we, like most of our friends, were Christians. It's hard to live on campus and be a Christian. Take your education. It's hard to be obedient to God. It's hard to be pure. It's hard in a variety of ways. Your education, like living on college campuses, attending classes, writing essays, taking exams, reading books under this like, this, this auspices of critical thought and originality and empiricism, it leaves very little room to believe in something as silly as a God that rules the universe. Like actually like in your biology classes, in your literature classes, in your philosophy classes, it is very, very hard to believe in a God that rules the universe, a Jesus that came from heaven, lived on earth, died, rose up from the dead, and then ascended back to heaven. That's a hard thing to believe. You're going to be assaulted for that. The, the word our text uses, you're gonna be labeled foolish for that. Whatever discipline you find yourself in, our text says you, you're inevitably gonna face circumstances where you're gonna be labeled as something less than uh, a critical thinking, intellectually honest student. It's inevitable. The, the point over all of this is that it is, being known by Jesus means you're gonna to have to sacrifice what people think about you. You're gonna to have to stop caring so much about this person, that person, my professor, my family, my friends, thinking of me as an intellect or as a fun person, whatever it is. But I will contend, in closing tonight, I'm gonna to contend that that's a good thing. It is a good thing to be labeled foolish because of your faith. Let's continue in our text in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to things that are. Jesus was brought to the cross at Calvary, a beaten, a foolish, a mocked, and a reviled man. Verse 25 says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What is humanity's greatest problem? Give it to me. Thank you. Separation from God. If that's true, if we actually believe that separation from God is our greatest problem, then the greatest thing you and I can experience is what? Reconciliation to God. And the only way that we get that is through the foolish, weak, broken cross. What the world would call the foolish, weak, broken Christianity. If believing in Jesus is foolish, I don't want to be anything but foolish. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth your reputation? Now, I just said I want to close, but actually I want to close with something else. So um, to, I want to put a bow on this semester, okay? I want like this whole, this whole idea of is Jesus worth it? Like all these things we've considered, okay? Do you guys remember all of them? Yes. Pop quiz time. Who, can, can we just like shout them out? Come at me with them. Is Jesus worth what? Relationships. Relationships. There's eight of them. Time. Reputation. You were listening. What else? What else? Career and education, your community, comfort, identity. And what was the last one? I even have to look. I feel bad now. Oh, yeah. What would you do two weeks ago? Suffering. Is Jesus worth it? Is the question we've been asking all semester. And I want you, I want you going away from here like not just here, like right now, tonight, and tomorrow, and the next couple of weeks. I want you going into next semester and into your break. I actually have three things that I think are both relevant and extremely important for us. Walking away from here as, as students living on campus and around campus going to classes, three things that I want you to think about and consider. Is Jesus worth it? If you actually believe that Jesus is worth it, then number one, you are gonna think about your education differently. We did like a thing on career with Rob, but there, being on a college campus, there's probably nothing more relevant to you than thinking about your education differently. And I want you to consider, why did you choose? Why did you choose your degree? What was it after when you were choosing your degree? Now, let me just say this. I'm not advocating for you to change your degree or drop out. Like, not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is consider why you chose it. If your answer, if you don't have a comprehensive answer as to how your career and your education can glorify the God of the universe, then you need to think a little harder. And you need to talk to someone about it. Because the, you're going to spend the majority of your awake life after college doing work. And so to consider how you can glorify God with the majority of your awake life, it's pretty important. Number two, Number one, do think, think, blah, 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 blah. let's try that again. Number one, 
Think differently about your education. Number two, you're going to do relationships differently. That means relationships slash like dating slash marriage and your friendships. And I, I imagine there's probably not something that occupies as much real estate in your young brains as like dating. <laughs> like that's a reality for most of you. And so as you consider that question that we've just been beating and beating into you, is Jesus worth it? If he is, you're going to do relationships differently. You're going to do your relationships differently. Um, and giving that part of your life over to God should be a natural reaction if Jesus is actually worth it. And my point in this is to borrow an idea from John Piper. Um, if God is a good God and God gives us commands, then those commands are going to be for our greatest joy and our greatest happiness. And so doing relationships differently is actually for your good and for your joy. But more than that, it's for the glory of God. And so thinking differently in relationships and doing relationships differently um, is point number two. The second thing I want you guys to think more deeply about. And then the final thing um, is you're going to share it. And this is like the scariest word, okay? This is the scariest word we say at GCF. You ready? Evangelism. Oh. Oh. I, I actually mean that. I think that I, I don't know if there is a scarier thing for us to do as Christians in 2018 than share our faith with a people that think our faith is ridiculous and silly or that hate our faith. But here's the thing. If you actually think Jesus is worth it, if you have a faith so special that it like invades the deepest part of yourself, you're going to share it. If you have a faith that's changed your life, you're gonna share it. If you have a faith that's, faith that's changed your eternity, you're gonna share it. And so I want you guys to consider this break, how you can be better evangelists, how you can share it next year in 2019 during the spring semester. Practice at home. Talk to your friends about it. Talk to your parents about it. So in, in summation for this year, if Jesus is worth it, you're going to think about your education differently, why you're here why you are studying what you're studying and you want to do what you want to do. You're going to think about dating differently. You're going to think about your friendships differently. And finally, you're going to share it. So let's, uh, let's pray and Johnny and Johnny will give us worship to close. So Lord, Father, we, um, God, we're grateful for your word. Uh, we're grateful for forgiveness. We're grateful that you've um, God, that you sent Jesus to die so that we could be forgiven. Lord, uh, I pray that as we consider how people see us in this room, Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid of talking about sin and talking about what's hard. Lord, I pray that as we consider how people see us outside this room, that what would be most important to us, what we'd hold above everything, is the approval of Jesus and not the approval of man. Lord, that we would, we would dive headfirst into the waters, the murky, tumultuous waters of evangelism. Lord, we need your help in that. We can't do any of this by ourselves. We need, we need our hearts changed to want to do it. We need, as our text said, we need, we, in our weakness, we need your help. So Lord, give us help, give us strength, give us 
confidence in you. Uh, Lord, we need you and we love you. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.